Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. We're so blessed that you're joining us today. How many times have you been, let's say, standing around the water cooler at work, if those things even exist anymore. You know, just chatting up with your coworkers and and somebody will mention one word or one subject and then one person starts sharing a story, you know, relative to the topic. And it could be a story you've heard dozens of times. It it could be you telling the story over and over again. You know, some people just roll their eyes and walk away. Others, even though they've heard the story, somehow are mesmerized by it and and they want to pitch in with their own stories and and that just begins the conversation, but but how, I guess you could say, why do we often tell the same stories over and over again? Have you ever noticed that Jesus often used stories to convey his primary messages? You know, they're called parables, but stories nonetheless. Why are we drawn in by stories and storytellers? More importantly, how can we use stories to share our messages? How can we put together a story that, that helps our business or communicates our message to the world the world in which we seek to impact. Well, my guest today is here to share that information with us. Bob Wheatley is a former professional baseball player turned speaker, author, and co-host of The Singles Show, a singles ministry sponsored by KCBI Radio in Dallas, Texas, my old stomping grounds. I'm very familiar with KCBI. Bob has worked with best-selling authors, keynote speakers, and world-class musicians, helping them to get the word out by storytelling as well. And he's the author, author of an absolutely astounding book, our heart's desire, how our stories reveal the thing we want most. Help me welcome to the program, Bob Wheatley. Bob, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I do appreciate it, man. Of course. I was looking forward to this. This is going to be great. Amen. Now, the first question I always start with is this. Other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Bob Wheatley? I would, I'd like to say, first and foremost, that I'm a, I'm a son, son of God. And I know the people that are listening to this, they're like, okay, yeah, totally. But I think that is first and foremost, what our identity should be. If we're going to set our mind on things above, if we're going to consider God before we consider ourselves, I think we need to be okay with that being enough. So we can, you know, we're, we're here on the interview. We're going to share stories back and forth. I know that we have a lot of crossover in, in our own respective stories. That's awesome. But yeah, who am I? I'm I'm a son of God, and that's day by day becoming more than enough for me, which I'm I'm stoked to be able to say. Well, let's start with your baseball background. Okay, you played for USC before moving into the minor leagues. What was that time of life like for you as you made that move from college student and college athlete into the professional ranks? Yeah. Totally. Well, I've I've now learned since moving to Nashville, been here for about five years. You need to clarify when you say USC, because when I grew up in Orange County, California, 
there was only one USC, University of Southern California. California. But since moving out to the South, you have South Carolina as well, the Gamecocks. So I went to USC, like Southern Cal. My parents met there. So it was always my dream school. And when I grew up, that was right in the heyday where our football teams were amazing. So I was like the biggest USC Trojan fan, asking for a, a jersey every Christmas, the whole deal. They offered me a scholarship to play baseball there, and it was it was an easy yes. It's probably an hour from home, so I'm close to the family, but not too close. And it was it was an amazing time there. Uh, played baseball. I wasn't an all world baseball player. Like I was never all conference, anything like that. I was a 26 round draft pick of the Toronto Blue Jays. I was number 774 overall. That's and cool. you made it though. Yeah. Well, if, if you call making it, they paid me a thousand dollars and gave me a plane ticket. So I was, I was an, an absolute nobody in the professional ranks, but I, I really wanted to t- uh, chase that dream of playing in the big leagues. And so it was a long shot, but yeah, I gave it a couple of years, play for the blue Jays for two play for the Cardinals for a little bit, and then ended up my career in independent professional baseball. Mm-hmm. I was living in normal Illinois, playing for the normal corn belters. I was making $600 a month. So I was able to experience, like if you watch any baseball movies, as far as, hey, are, are the minor leagues really that bad? Or are they really like that? In a lot of ways, yes, they are. And I, I made some amazing friends and lived in towns and uh, different places that, like I, I just I never would if it wasn't for right. baseball. Yeah. So I'm so grateful for it. It was really difficult in a lot of ways. It really tested me, but an, an amazing experience that I wouldn't get back. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I've interviewed a few other professional athletes over the past couple of years as well. And and like I said, for the sake of those that may not have heard those episodes, maybe new listeners or whatever, what's the hard part of living life basically on the road as a professional athlete? Yeah, I uh I mean, there's so many ways I could go with that. I would say when you think of professional sports, you might think, oh man, there's a there's a ton of money. It's it's you're living this life of luxury. That is not true in the lower ranks of professional sports, whether it's the D League in basketball, or I guess it's the G League, maybe I don't know what's called today, the minor leagues in baseball, uh, whatever it is. And so like the, the first story that came to mind when you said that, I remember I was playing in Vancouver, British Columbia. It was the single A affiliate for the Blue Jays. And we were on a road trip. Uh, it was the most northwest city in the league. It was literally called the, the Northwest League. And we played in Canada, Washington State, Oregon, and Idaho. And so we were on the road somewhere. Let's say we're in Boise. And one of the first stops that we would always make when you go to a new town is we would, we would stop at Walmart. And the strength and conditioning coach was kind of like the nutritionist as well. Like it was his job to, all right, buy food for the team. And we are totally on a peanut butter and jelly type of diet. Like that that's all we're eating at the, at the ballpark. It is not steak and potatoes. And so somebody asked him like, hey, man, we have 25 guys on this roster, 25 professional athletes. How much money do you have per day to feed us? He had $80 to feed 25 people. Wow. Yeah, 25 professional athletes. So that's why we had the peanut peanut butter butter and jelly jelly and and chewy bars. You know, and of course, we were grateful for them. But you asked what was the hardest part about playing on the road. 
and we're, we're doing the, you know, 80 bucks a day. We're, we're sleeping in motels, all that stuff. I'd say maybe the most difficult part is you're not guaranteed the thing that you're chasing. Yeah. Like you're, you're just chasing a dream and you know, it is such a long shot. Like I was a, I was a pitcher. If there's 30 professional teams in the big leagues, each team carries about 12, maybe 13 pitchers. So I need to be one of the top 1,000 humans in the world at throwing baseballs. Like that is just such a small number. That's true. And honestly, there's a bunch of people that are more talented than you are. Like, especially that was the case for me. I'm I'm tall. I'm left-handed. I'd sit like 87 to 90 miles per hour. Like that's hard for human beings. That is not hard for major league baseball players. They're throwing a hundred miles an hour without trying just like amazing athleticism. And so I would say the most difficult part of it is chasing that impossible dream and not being guaranteed anything. Yeah. So that doesn't mean it's not worth trying, but it is difficult for sure. Continuing to try and encourage yourself along the way to continue chasing the great dream. Right. Yeah. It can, it can be a really lonely existence. And that's one thing that I've learned as time, as time has gone on, because it's been about five years since I retired, the transactional nature of it, I think affected me negatively to where I had to unlearn some things. I think it negatively impacted some of my relationships, specifically in the area of friendship, because I mean, I'm sure you've been in locker rooms, like you're, you're close to all the guys. It's awesome. You're joking around, you're laughing. It's a good time. The problem is when that locker mate can get traded overnight and then somebody else is wearing literally his jersey the next day that just cultivates this transactional mindset maybe it's like okay like yeah we're close right now but you'll leave yeah right it's it's not sticky and i think i mean what does god say it's not good for the man to be alone like we we are made to be in relationship yeah and so i think that was a difficult part um it was very business like and i, I awesome organizations play for some awesome people but just the nature of the business is like people come and go and it's like all right sun's gonna yeah. come up tomorrow gotta show yeah. up to the yard the next day and that's yeah. even in the professional at the major league level right uh, because I mean, you you have players you know i'm in the baltimore area so they had trey mancini here for several years so popular and stuff and then one day like yeah he's traded you know yeah and they're like how could they do that because it's business it's yeah. all business. And if it the transaction makes sense, it's done, you know. And it's it's they try and leave the personal. I, I guess someone told me that I was interviewing, they said the personal feeling part is the last item in the equation. You know, if, if they got yes, 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 but I really like the guy, I want to keep him here. Nah, go for it. you're just a piece of paper basically you know at that point in time you know so yeah is there anything you wish you would have done differently that may have produced another outcome uh i don't think it would have produced a different outcome um in terms if that outcome is me getting to the big leagues and having some awesome hall of fame career there's there's literally nothing i would change because i wasn't willing to do it the wrong way like i wasn't willing to take steroids Steroids. or some sort of ped because if I had gotten what I wanted, like air quotes, what I wanted and done it the wrong way, like I want to be able to look myself in the mirror when I'm 40, 50, 60. So 
No, I wouldn't have changed anything as far as to the end of getting a different result. I absolutely would have changed my my devotion to to God. I would have given my life over to God sooner. And that's strange for me to say because I grew up in the church. I was baptized, uh, I think it was 13, like early in my life. I went to Christian middle schools and high schools. So like the first period of the day for six years of my life, I was memorizing scripture. We're going to church and stuff like that. But if Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and you shall know them by their fruit. I didn't have the fruit that would prove that I was a truly converted, saved Christian. I just went to Christian schools. I just prayed before dinner and called it a day. Mm -hmm. So I would have given my life over to God sooner just because now it's it's this amazing existence. Like I feel like I'm right in the center of God's will for my yeah. life. Even if that will is, Bob, I just want to know you. Yeah. You're you're my son. So, and I I don't think that giving my life over to God at 21 versus 25 when I retired would have made me throw baseballs faster. Like right. God, right. God is on a totally different agenda, <laughs> totally different timeline. Like it's not about that at all. But like if we think about Romans 8.28, it's kind of like the the biblical band-aid of, hey, when bad things happen, like this is the verse that you say, oh, well, God causes all things to work out for the good. But Romans 8.29 really gives you the context as far as what God is after, that you might be conformed to the character of Christ, the firstborn of many brethren. So if I'd given my life over to God when I was 21 or 18 or 14, then I started with, would have, you know, I would have started conforming my character uh, to the character of Christ sooner. So I've, I've just changed my, my sights. I've changed my goal. It's not about throwing baseballs as fast as I can and making it to the big leagues and, you know, fulfilling all of what I think are dreams. It's like, no, God is sovereign. He loves me then more, loves me more than I could possibly know. I want to get on his timeline. I want to get on his agenda. Amen. Yeah. Because that's when life starts making sense. At what point did you give your life to Christ? Yeah, I'd say it was at 25. And it was fortunately because I failed so royally so quickly. There's like three areas of my life where I I had everything planned out. Oh, everything planned out. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get to the big leagues. That'll be great. I was actually a business major at USC and I was running a protein bar business while I played in the minor leagues. Mm. So I'd have my little hotspot, my laptop. I'm like sending orders all over the country from my laptop on the, on the bus. That was like plan B or plan one a like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially if I get to the big leagues, this protein bar business will blow up. But even if I don't, I'm going to step right into this. I retire from baseball, like blue Jays, Cardinals, normal corn belters they all say hey bob you're not good enough go home so baseball is done that's crushing then i realize oh man this this business really isn't working like we we kind of need to blow it up and rebuild it that's either going to take a lot of time a lot of money or both and i don't i don't have either of those things so the business didn't work and then i had a a 3 year relationship that ended abruptly thereafter and this is like a like a 30 day period Baseball, business, yeah. girl, done. Yeah. And so I had been this guy. Um, there, there's a poem called Invictus where the author, uh, the writer of the, the poem says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. 
And I remember thinking about that uh, while I was still playing. I was like, totally. I am, I am absolutely the master of my fate. I am absolutely the captain of my soul. Like it's so American and it's so uh, athlete minded. Like I, I control my destiny. That is not true at all. That is such an unbiblical thought that uh, I needed to fail. I needed to see my captainhood fail royally to where I could hand my life over to God. So Amen. yeah, I, Fortunately, yeah, nice. I lived out the proverb, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose <laughs> of the Lord that yeah. will stand. So it was in my brokenness that I gave my life over to God. And it, it it didn't feel like a super spiritual moment. I was just so sad mm-hmm. and broken. It's like, Lord, I, I've really tried here, but I'm evidently I'm not a good captain. I'm not a good quarterback of my life. Do you want to try? <laughs> here, here's, here's my life. And what an amazing prayer. I'm I'm amen. so grateful that I just stumbled upon that out of necessity. Yeah, amen. Yeah, my story, although not in sports, but my dream job was the military. And that's yeah. all I wanted to do. And I was 150% committed to it, you know. And then I got called in one day when they were drawn down the military in 1989. And I'm thinking, you know, I got eight more years. And I'm retired. I'm good. You know, everything it's locked in. This is, they said, yeah, uh, go set, pick up your clearance papers. You're done. And no notice at all. I had, you know, what, 12 days to help process my 12 year career, you know? And, uh, yeah. And that just, I mean, yeah, I was, I, I can relate to what you said 100%, 100%. And I wasn't born again at the time, although I thought I was because I was brought up in the church and stuff too, you know, but, yeah, it, when it, it it really humbles you when you realize you're not in control. You know? mm-hmm. And amen, amen. So, what did you do after leaving professional baseball? Uh, I was still running the protein bar business. It co- took a couple months for me to see the writing on the wall, like, "Hey, this isn't going to work." But in spending time in prayer, I officially gave my life over to God in every aspect. I was like, Lord here's my life. Show me where you want me to go. Might not be California. Like just because my family's here doesn't mean that's what where you want me. I, I'm listening. Show me where you want me to go, what you want me to do, who you want me to be with. Here's my life. And so in, in prayer and listening to what I thought was his promptings, I, I felt like he told me to move to Nashville. And then I took a job in finance. I was working as a financial advisor there for a little bit. And uh yeah, I mean, it, not, it's, it's not it's not what I would have planned. Like, I never grew right. up yeah. loving money or the the stocks. Or now I work in in personal branding. Mm-hmm. Again, it's kind of like I'm giving God this blank slate and just saying, "Hey, I'm I'm open to what you're doing," and right. just doing my best to to listen to Him. And if we all have good works prepared in advance for us and our our Lord, I I don't want to miss those things. Amen. Yeah. Let's jump into your book, Our Heart's Desire. Why did you write this book at this time in your life? Yeah, I I had been writing a little bit before that. I was always a reader mm-hmm. and I almost always read nonfiction books as an athlete. It was mental game, nutrition, weightlifting, like again, always to the end of how do I throw baseballs as fast as I can? Yeah. And I had a friend here in Nashville 
just continue to poke me like, hey, man, you should read some fiction. You should read some fiction. You need to lighten up. You should read some fiction. And finally caved and started reading some classic novels and just fell in love with them because it was like the right side of my brain had been turned on for the first time in 20 years. And so I had been writing a little bit just because I think most authors, that's where it begins. You read a lot like, hey, I, you know, I have a lot of thoughts. I want to just capture them on paper. And also, I had another mentor here in Nashville. We'd been reading the Bible in a year together for years. So this, this is my fifth, fifth year of completing that. So I have those two projects where I'm reading the Bible every day, probably 20 to 30 minutes, but it's cover to cover every year. So I'm constantly reminding myself of the master story. Like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. But on a macro level, like I know the story that God has written. I'm constantly remind myself of it. And then there was the the author to be, the guy who's like exploring the fictional realm and I've always loved movies and Broadway shows and stuff like that. And so as I have these two projects or initiatives going, one day they just they were just blended. It's like, hold on. Cuz I was studying storytelling as well, like the art of character building or world building, like how do these guys write these amazing movies? How do they make these amazing novels? And what I realized is it's kind of what you were talking about on the front end. Like we keep telling this same story over and over and over again. You see these same motifs in a bunch of different uh, options, examples. So you have the hero, the villain, the love interest to be saved. You start in paradise, that paradise is lost. The entire story, the entire movie is just, we're just trying to restore paradise. We're trying to get back to what we once had. And then you zoom out and you look at the story of scripture. That That's what it is. It's the hero, villain, love interest to be saved, paradise lost, paradise restored. And so that totally transformed my, my previous love for stories where I'm watching the dark night or the hunger games or saving private Ryan or a few good men, like all these movies that I grew up on. It's like, hold on. If we zoom out and kind of like, you know, we don't look at the specific story, the specific characters. We just look at the macros. Like this is the story of scripture in a sense, this is nuts. So I then, you know, this has been a two year project as I've written this book. So I've read the Bible cover to cover two times over as I'm writing and it is exactly that story. It is it is the greatest love story ever written. In a sense, it's the only love story because we were all born into that reality. Like there's no reality outside of God's existence. And he's he's the main character of the story that we were born into. And so what I've done in this book is essentially tell the story of scripture through pop culture. So I'll use Amen. The Dark Knight, The Hunger Games, Saving Private Ryan. I talk about Rachel and Ross and their back and forth dynamic in the TV sitcom Friends to help somebody who maybe didn't grow up in the church and isn't that pastor, isn't that theologian who's just like dying to crack open the King James to help them understand like, hey, this is why you love The Hunger Games. Mm. This is why you loved that novel that you read over the holidays. We were born into that story. The author, you know, God, the father, he wants us to recognize that he has made us as humans to recognize that. That's how you can have an agnostic 
Somebody who hasn't cracked open the Bible tells that same story and is just like, oh, totally. This is the story that I'm longing for. It's because we can't escape that longing. We can't escape that desire to, to see the paradise that we had lost, to see the strength of a hero, to see the villain put to shame and destroyed. Like yeah. we can't escape that. So it just it totally transformed the way I see scripture and frankly, the you know, the the story we're living. Amen. I mean, Jesus was a master storyteller. There is no doubt that we should become great storytellers ourselves, but we need to share his message with others. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for today's portion of this interview with Bob Wheatley. <laughs> Man, time goes by so fast when we're talking about some important things. Amen. As you heard, I believe Bob Wheatley has accurately described us all as being storytellers. I mean, you have a story to tell, a story that will impact someone's life somewhere. But you need to understand how to share it in a way that will impact that someone, not have them roll their eyes and walk away. Amen. I urge you to drop down to the show notes and order your copy of Bob Wheatley's book, Our Heart's Desire, How Our Stories Reveal the Thing We Want Most. For those of you who are speakers or business owners, this book will provide you with some important insights into how to communicate your stories more effectively. And be sure to come back for the next episode because we're going to dive deeper into becoming a great storyteller as we conclude our two-part interview with Bob Wheatley. Till then, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters. 
where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success. Thank you.